Welcome to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is a community helping New Yorkers embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. For more information, go to goodshepherdnewyork.com. May you be filled with curiosity, grace, and peace as we listen and learn together through this sacred text. Good morning, Good Shepherd. Our text today comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Thank you, Tony. And now, having heard our gospel text, we take a moment to pause, to open our hearts, and to pay attention. And whatever we bring into this moment, whether it's lots of faith or doubt, confidence or skepticism, joy or grief, let's bring our authentic selves to the moment. And let's open up to the possibility that God could take this story and connect it to ours in a meaningful way. So let's just take a quiet moment to open our hearts before God. God, we open ourselves to you, to ourselves, and to each other. And we pray you would touch us with your love in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, one of my earliest spiritual memories 
involves watching my grandmother pray. She had this little prayer book with religious art on the cover. And I would stumble out of bed way too early, I'm sure. And I would find her at the kitchen table and she'd be saying her prayers. Now, one morning I sat down with a bowl of cereal while she finished her coffee and finished her prayers. And I asked a very simple and innocent question. I asked Mima, what is that? Oh, this is special, she said. Right? This is a prayer book, Michael. And she said something to the effect of, if you pray these prayers every day, you can guarantee your spot in heaven. Now, I recall this creating a bit of a mini crisis in my little imagination, right? The way that solutions sort of offered to problems that you weren't aware of or that you didn't care much about tend to do. And so I asked questions. I asked how many prayers there were and how many days it would take to pray them. I remember thinking in the end, like, wow, that's a pretty good deal. And so I began. I'd wake up, I'd read prayers that I largely didn't understand and could sort of slowly make my way through because of my reading level. And I had this burning hope that I could guarantee my spot in heaven. And then I quit. I don't remember why or how, but I quit. Now, maybe the pool was too tempting on a hot summer morning, or maybe I wanted to chase the lizards in the backyard, or perhaps I just wanted to watch Saturday morning cartoons. It was my summer vacation after all, you know. But I know this, from that moment on, a way of imagining God and imagining the spiritual quest stuck with me. I began to imagine prayer as a tool. Right? I ma imagined that my spot in heaven was up for grabs. And I imagined that God felt somewhat cold and exacting, that God would be carefully evaluating my sort of like every performance. Now, consider our gospel story. Jesus is seen in Matthew's gospel to have this rising popularity with the people at the same time that this intensity of opposition is building among religious leaders. His reputation is spreading all over the place, partly because he has this tangible effect on people, whether it's healing or liberation or inclusion, but also he had this inspiring vision for life. It was a powerful and mesmerizing portrait that he was painting of another world that was possible. But in the end, he was being seen by all as a powerful force of resistance, both to the religious and the political status quo. And our text tells us that the crowd was growing so large that Jesus had to jump on a boat, push off of shore in order to address them. Now, how did Jesus respond to this moment? Right? How did he choose to harness the moment of movement, of momentum, of growing popularity? Well, he decided to tell confusing and somewhat ambiguous stories. Right? Jesus spoke to them in parables. Now, I want to ask the question at this sort of moment in the sermon. What is a parable? Robert Farah Capone says of parables, quote, Speaking in comparisons and teaching by means of stories are, of course, two of the oldest instructional techniques in the world. And in the hands of almost all instructors except Jesus, they are relatively straightforward pieces of business. But with Jesus, the device of parabolic utterance is used not to explain things to people's satisfaction, 
but to call attention to the unsatisfactoriness of all previous explanations and understandings. End quote. I love that because it's showing us parables are troubling the waters of our understandings and of our ways of imagining the world. A.J. Levine says uh, in her reflection on parables, quote, the parables, if we take them seriously, not as meaning, but as soliciting our meaning making. And if we allow ourselves to be open to various interpretations, they become for us tools not for shaming or inculcating guilt, but for good, hard lessons learned with a sense of playfulness, end quote. We, we all bring our parables to, to the parables, our basic understandings, our come-froms. And so you'll forgive me when I first heard this parable, I heard it with the ears that had been deeply impacted by my grandmother's performance-oriented sort of prayer book spirituality. And I immediately began obsessing about the soils. I wonder if you're the same. Right here we have three bad soils and one good soil. And I was left asking the question, well, which one am I? Now listen, I think we can be um, helped as we reflect on soils to an extent. Here in the bad soils, we basically find insight into the obstacles that exist to receiving the God who is love. Right? The bad soils are different ways that our ego responses uh, come up and bump up against the world. Responses rooted in fear and worry and in self-defense. One powerful way to imagine the soils is through the image of a hand, right? The bad soils reflect a closed hand at the center of our hearts, and it can take different shapes. But the good soil reflects uh, an open hand. It's natural to hear a parable like this and to think that it's about us, right? It's about our hearts. And we begin to ask, which soil am I here? Am I the thick-minded or the hard-hearted and therefore lack understanding kind of soil? Am I the rootless soil that abandons the quest when faced with difficulty? I mean, my experience of my grandmother's prayer book sort of pointed to yes there. Am I choked by the worries of the world or the lure of wealth? Or am I the good soil who hears, who understands, and who bears good fruit? Right? Do I return or make a good return on the careful investment of God? But I'll never forget the moment that I realized I was barking up the wrong tree with these questions. Right? My experience of the parable at the time proved Jesus's point that for some, a parable can cause us to double down on our understandings and instincts, right? To harden rather than open up and soften and to see things in new ways, right? To see our understandings and our instincts as sort of getting in the way of love. I'll never forget the moment that I realized it is an obsession with the soil that produces what Jesus talks about here. The parable isn't about willpower that wins gold medals, right? It's not about the strategic thinking that comes from earning an MBA at an Ivy League school. No, this parable is actually about the simple act of surrender, right? The hand of our heart opening up and letting go of control. It's so simple that a child can do it. Right? It's so simple that the poor can do it or the uneducated, they can all do it. We can all do it. And often these uh, that we've just mentioned, the poor, the uneducated, the children, they're often closer to surrender than the rest of us. Why? 
because they are less fooled by the illusion of control that the ego promises. They're often closer to understanding that self-defense isn't really possible. The clenched fist of control cannot solve the problems created by the clenched fist of control. Think about that for a moment. The parable sort of opened up for me when I began to ask the question, who plants seeds on a sidewalk, right? On a well-trod path, who does that? And then I suddenly realized this parable is not about the soil. It's about the sower. Now, my experience was very similar to Barbara Brown Taylor, who said, quote, when reflecting on this parable, it has been known for centuries as the parable of the sower, which means that there is a chance, just a chance, that we've gotten it all backwards. We hear the story, and we think it's a story about us. But what if we're wrong? What if it's not about us at all, but about the sower? What if it's not about our own successes and failures and birds and rocks and thorns, but about the extravagance of a sower who does not seem to be phased by such concerns, who sort of flings seed everywhere and wastes it with holy abandon, who feeds the birds, who whistles at the rocks, who picks his way through the thorns, shouts hallelujah when he finds good soil and just keeps on sowing confident that there's enough seed to go around, that there is plenty, and that when the harvest comes at last, it will fill every barn in the neighborhood to the rafters. The focus is not on us and our shortfalls. The focus is on the generosity of our maker, right? The prolific sower who does not obsess about the condition of the fields, who's not stingy with the seed, but who casts it everywhere on the good soil and the bad, who's not cautious, who's not judgmental or even very practical, but who seems willing to keep reaching into his seed bag for all eternity, covering the whole creation with the fertile seed of truth, end quote. I love that. Yes, the clenched fist of control cannot solve the problems that the clenched fist of control creates. And similarly, imagining God as this controlling, cold, and calculating God, always evaluating, always judging, it doesn't solve the problem either. We need a new imagination. And what if the only way to produce good soil in our lives is to lift our eyes up, away from self-evaluation, right? Up away from the metrics of, of analyzing ourselves, to lift our eyes up away from the shame and the anxious obsession with our own status, up and away from a God who is calculating and exacting and move it toward the God of this parable, the God who frivolously flicks seed all over the place without a second thought, who causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the righteous and on the unrighteous alike. What if we lifted our eyes to the God of the open hand and we begin to imagine that the world we inhabit doesn't have at its center a cold fist, but an open, loving hand? You see, we're creatures of imitation. We have these mirror neurons that fire in our brains constantly. It's our greatest strength and it's also 
one of our greatest liabilities. And how we imagine God or how we imagine ultimate reality, it deeply affects how we live. What if the only way to fruitful living, right, to the fruitful life of love, to the good soil, is to imagine God as the brimming generosity that God is? Now, I want to think about our church for a second. Our mission is to embody the love of Christ, not just to think about it, to learn about it, to consume it as content, and then move on. No, we want to embody this love, to put it into practice. Now, how can you embody the wisdom of the parable this week? Now, I want to challenge you to pay attention to your inner disposition, to your heart. Now, when you feel it closing off, when you feel a sense of defensiveness emerging, when you sense your heart becoming overwhelmed by worry or by self-defense, what if you simply pause? What if you close your eyes? What if you take a breath and you imagine this generous sower of the parable with a glorious smile, not worried about waste or return, but generously scattering seed everywhere he goes? Imagine the open hand at the center of the universe, opening to you, opening in the face of whatever threat you face, and then take the risk of the open heart. Right When you don't understand something and you just want to give up because it's too hard, close your eyes and take that breath. Right? When you feel your heart growing cold because of financial concerns or maybe concerns of acquiring or keeping status, and that can be religious or it can be cultural or at work or wherever, just simply close your eyes and take that breath. When you feel threatened in your marriage, with your family, or maybe even in a friendship, right? when you want to get defensive and you want to you know, hold on to your instinct to shut down or to check out or to hold a grudge, close your eyes and take that breath and imagine the God who didn't close off to you. Imagine the God that flicks the seed in every season of your life. Imagine the God that knows there will always be enough. Imagine the God that meets your hostility or the hostility of this world with love and with surrender. And let the Holy Spirit of that same God guide your imagination to shift, to open up, and to take the risk of love. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.